0: Hello and welcome to the Entrepreneurs, Monocle24's programme all about inspiring people, innovative companies and fresh ideas in global business. I'm your host, Tom Edwards. Coming up on the show this week...
1: You're going to have to explain to people in 10 years' time what commuting was, because it was just a totally crazy thing people used to do.
0: We're in Cannes to catch up with the boss of IWG, Mark Dixon, on why, even if commuting's days are numbered, the office is
2: very much alive and kicking. Later in the program. Capacities is a studio for your mind to use um, digital information and and generate outputs from it uh, to find connections and become a more productive and creative human being.
0: We'll head to Berlin to meet two tech entrepreneurs creating cutting edge tools for the thought industry. Inspiration across the board ahead here on The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. You are listening to The Entrepreneurs. Well, we're slightly changing up from our usual structure this week as we welcome, first of all, a very special guest here in the studio. It's Monocle's editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck. And, Andrew, welcome. May I say you look like a man who's been basking in the glow of the jewel of the Cote d'Azur. Am I correct in my reading of things? I have been to Cannes. (laughs) Uh, Now, tell me, you were there for Mipim. Is this correct?
3: Yeah, so this is, is the biggest real estate and property event in the world. This year, some 20,000 people were in attendance, gathering for a few days, luckily this year, in the sunshine, to talk about the world of, of offices, of real estate, the financing of these projects. And it's, it's an amazing gathering of people, um, quite a lot of gentlemen in suits. But if you dig deeper, you find some really interesting tales and extraordinary people in attendance.
0: Uh, well, now at the top of the show, we had a playful uh, remark from. Uh, well, we're going to hear from him in a, in detail in a moment. A gentleman that you spoke to, talking about uh, the the future of. Well, commuting. He doesn't necessarily see a future for that, but definitely double down on the future uh, of the office. This is Mark Dixon, of course, founder and chief executive of, of IWG. He was there. Um, tell me about him. Presumably he was one of those aforementioned men in suits, but he was kind of full of surprises.
3: Oh, he, he is an amazing character. So uh, for our listeners, what, what, what's interesting is you know, this is a guy. He's a self-made man. At 16, he, he left school. He started trying to sell sandwiches, was his first business. Then he went off to Saint-Tropez. He was a barman. He was a, a miner in Australia. But he made his first big fortune from selling buns, um, rolls, bread rolls, to the, the, the fast food industry. He sold that business for some £800,000, took himself off to Brussels, started doing apartment blocks and, and apartment buildings, rent for rental. And then he saw an opportunity because he was always stuck in a cafe trying to work. He, he thought there must be other people like me, and he started a company called Regis, which was about providing workspaces to people. So, cut to a couple of years later, he started that in 1989. But by 2001, it was already valued at over two billion pounds. Now he's rolled with every kind of move of the the shared office space, the 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 providing places for people to work. He's the biggest provider. Of, uh, of workspace anywhere in the world. And he just can, continues to grow and grow and grow. I must say, a tiny caveat, some of the critics say, well, look, it's, it's interesting. He's got quite a lot of debt associated with the company. He hasn't made a profit in the last couple of years. He would say, look, we're just growing so fast. That That's why... But an extraordinary, powerful character. And he has made the most of the post-pandemic years. Hit badly in the pandemic, of course, but he's really come out of it kind of swinging.
0: Uh, we're going to hear from him in, in just a second. But just talk about him being at Mipham, because I think it might surprise some people that he's sort of, he's the, he's the face of the brand. He's at the stand. He's talking to people he wants to meet. What, why does he go there? Did he talk about why it's still important to be there, to be chatting with you know interesting people like yourself, Andrew, but to just be... Be, to be seen, to, to 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 get involved. I guess that's part and parcel of the the ongoing success of his business is to be demonstrative in doing that. Yeah. So
3: I W G had a stand. He he was there. He was hanging around. He was meeting one person after another, and he said he'd had back to back meetings. So some people say that the the event is there to allow people to raise money and do finance. I I think that tends to happen away from the fair. But what he did say is that you just think how many partners he has, you know, people he's collaborating with, and they just all pour and can for these few days. So it's effortless for him to have face-to-face meetings with a huge number of people that he is is in deals with, and he was just bouncing. and He's been there; to, he's been at every single MIPIM for thirty years. So it's an, an extraordinary thing. He said he was there the first one, it was like tucked in a corner of the 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 Palais where they they hold the event, and it's grown and grown and grown. And he's seen it as essential to his business every year to turn up.
0: And I, I'm interested that there was buns in the foundation story. <laughs> he started with buns and, Andrew, he's still on a roll oh, oh, now. Oh. I went straight there. Uh, look, enough of my terrible puns. Let's hear uh, from Mark. Uh, as you said, Andrew, you spoke to him down in and, and he began by telling you a bit more about how his story began.
1: Well, it began with me a long, long time ago. You know, I'd started up and i built up and sold already eight businesses and I was in my late 30s. I moved to Brussels and I was doing apartments for secretaries because no one had thought of that. It was quite a successful business. And I thought about getting my first office. And it was a nightmare. You know, totally uncustomer friendly. They wondered who this oik was from the UK over in Brussels um, looking for space. I said, just, there must be a better way. I started researching it, then launched it in Brussels in 89 and you know 89 it was before the internet before mobile phones you know we made money from telex and fax machines and old-fashioned you know, sort of fixed phones and space and so on so look it was a an idea that sort of grew and grew much much more in this digital age that we're in today how quickly did you realize you were onto something it took about six months. I started the business. I put in 100,000 pounds and took it out again within a month in, in profits. So It was a great business because I didn't, you know, the best businesses are those you don't put any money into. Um, and it's, you know, it, it, I knew after six months that it was something much, much bigger. My original business plan was to do all the European capitals. It was the beginning of the European Union. And I thought there would be people that wanted to be in each of the capitals and somehow a network of places that were reliable, easy to use. There'd be a market for it. Um, After six months, I realized that this was a huge thing and could be a global thing. So I ripped up the plan and and made a much, much bigger plan that I'm still doing today. I mean, we're now on just coming up to 4,000 buildings in 120 countries. Um, But we're we're nowhere near done. We're still at the beginning, unfortunately.
3: Now your business is dependent on how people want to work. And we're we're going to see some of those changes in a moment when we talk about it. But can I just take you back maybe six, seven years ago when a lot of uh, potential rivals came onto the market looking at your business and lots of them have have been and gone. And some of the, the big companies who got rather daft valuations at the time you carried on doing your thing was there a moment there when you thought hold on
1: this is this is this is my world (laughs) who's parking their tanks it was I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a a sort of fundamental business person I'm not smart enough to do very sophisticated models and so on so I I look at the basics so I did have a moment where I was scratching my head saying if I miss something you know is why would someone do what some of the others in the market have done why would that happen and uh, so we you know you have to check you know it's a competitive market and it's important you check your own model you look at other people you check your own and just make sure you haven't missed anything as it happened I hadn't missed something, but could have been I mean but it's been a fantastic thing the investment of others into the market has helped build the industry we have today. The knowledge of it, I mean, I'd never imagined that you could have TV programs made of our industry, but that's what happened. So look, in building a, a totally new way of people working in the future, um, that, you know, there's people that are going to not get it right and there's people that can get it right. Can you tell me, so I guess one of the, the interesting things when the when more
3: competitors came along, was I guess one thing people have, had thought was okay: is there a kind of a, a younger, cooler generation of people who now want these serviced offices and these these flexible office spaces? Whereas in the past, you said maybe it was, you know somebody who was running a, a, a more traditional business wanted a, a, an office in a city a couple of days because they were working in that city. Did that force you to look at your portfolio and think, aesthetically at least? Okay, maybe maybe we need to consider. There there
1: is a new generation coming along who will want to work with us. We, you know, people think of us as having one brand, which is Regis, our biggest brand. But we also have a brand called Spaces, we have HQ, we have 12 brands in total. So we do everything from, you know, workshops and creative studios all the way up to, you know, like your equivalent of Four Seasons with our signature brand. So we have those cool brands. The thing is, though, if you if, you know, when companies put billions of dollars into sort of marketing, you know, that can it it helped us a great deal, but it can take you know, it takes the limelight away for a while. We so we fully believed it, that there was a market for a cool, um, well-designed space that would appeal to a different generation of workers, in particular in the tech and creative industries. Our spaces brand absolutely caters to that marketplace. Mark, obviously we know what happened to every business in the world during the pandemic,
3: but we pop out the other side of that. And there's been this remarkable transformation in how many companies want to work. Companies that would never have considered it pre-pandemic are saying they want to offer flexible, working, and that they're taking on space with companies such as yourself so that people can work in the suburbs, they can work closer to home, they can not always come into the main office to do their work. Has it
1: surprised you the pace of that change and the permanence of it after the pandemic? I mean, the pace has surprised me. The permanence I always believed in because, you know, I'm I'm a believer that, you know, basically Tech changes everything, and it's going to change real estate, and it is. So it's, it's, it's the fact that you can work from anywhere that enabled this grand experiment that occurred during COVID, where companies overnight almost changed the way that they organized themselves, allowed people to work from home remotely. Productivity actually did not go down. In many companies, it went up. Um, And people realized for the first time that they could run effective companies without having everyone coming to central offices But the pace of change Has been remarkable since then. I mean we will open up close to a thousand buildings this year Because the demand is so great for uh, From companies wanting to provide facilities on a platform near to where people live so that um, you know, that convenience. They believe they will get better people, and they do. And they have more retention. And, you know, overall, much better for the planet. And by the way, it's half the price. So, you know, we're in a difficult economy, probably in 23, maybe into 24. Companies are looking way to save costs. And this is one where you can actually make your people happy and at the same time cut costs. So every CFO in the land is thinking this is a, this is this is attractive. I remember again
3: post-pandemic, lots of people saying for your industry the opportunities would be to tilt the model a bit and go into the suburbs. That's where people were going to want to be. Is, is that your your
1: feeling? Always has been. So we've we've been in the suburbs for a long, long time. You know, we we like to do small towns, villages. Um, so. You know 80 percent of our centers are in small towns and cities we, we have a lot in the cities but the majority are close to where people live in the suburbs and where people commute from the growth we're seeing today is is all over um the, you know countries you know, The united states is showing the highest growth and the highest movement towards hybrid and flexible working because american companies just move quicker good idea saves us money, better for people, and by the way, better for the planet, We're, let's do it, what's stopping us? So they're getting out of fixed leases in central locations and moving to platform working near to where people live. So a lot of our growth, about 90% of our growth is in the suburbs and, 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 and very rural locations.
3: You said uh, you know, a thousand buildings. What's the, what's the business model? Are you work with people who work as licensees in, in a way with you, or are you are you the owner, well, the, the managers rather, of all the buildings in your portfolio? We, we,
1: we work we work in partnership with investors and building owners. You know, here at MIPIM, we've signed deals. One deal, the biggest deal we've ever done, for 50 buildings with a French um, uh, REIT, very big company here in France. Um, we've done several deals for 20 buildings, so these are with pension funds, insurance companies who can see that the world of property is changing and they want to get into it. They want to work with us. We have the platform. We have 8 million users. We expect that to become more than 100 million users over the coming years and they, they, they want to work with us to convert some of their space into space that would be useful for these new nomadic workers that may work for large companies but they they want a new flexibility that works for them and works for the company
3: lots of people said that you know the the world's capital markets are a bit kind of screwed at the moment but it sounds like less so for you that you know traditional office developments don't attract revenue or investment in the US retail is a bit challenged but are you the, the the kind of the sweet spot that people think I, I see a, a trend in the right way, or is it still the challenge out there?
1: Yeah, we're sort of a sweet spot because we're we're working with investors and owners of existing properties, shopping centres, prop, you know, real estate worldwide, um, where we can create cash flow for them. So by putting it on the platform, managing it the way we manage space, exposing it to these new workers you can create cash flow. And what everyone wants, the number one thing in 2023, it's cash flow, especially in a world of high interest rates. It's become fashionable again. I mean, for a while, when there was zero interest rates, it was something different. But now, cash is king. And tell me, when you
3: see the people who come coming to use your spaces, I wonder if there's a bit of a move as well to people less wanting a a seat or a desk that they can nip in and use for an hour here and there that as you say there are more companies now saying okay we need actually an office space that's got a, a door that we open and shut yeah. we want to be half a dozen people yeah. it's going to be it is going to be
1: flexible but actually i'm the boss i will probably going to be there most yeah. days absolutely so you know we have companies the whole combination of things we don't do single products we have we do hubs a lot of companies what you're describing there is a hub the ceo lives in maidenhead or lives in connecticut He wants to have an office down the road from where he is, he has people there, but he employs people all over the country in a series of hubs, in particular for those companies that are doing a lot of interactive business where it helps to have people together. Look, working remotely doesn't work for everyone, not for every company, not for every style of working. So the ability to just have little h- hubs everywhere, very attractive, and that's a popular product that is one of our leading sellers. That plus drop-in, um, they're the things that are really driving the growth. Hybrid worker? I've always been a hybrid worker because I refuse to waste any of my time commuting. So I, I, you know, my, I always live right ne- near the office, but I cannot work from home. So I'm just useless at home, get interrupted, blah, blah, blah. So I like I like the cutoff, going somewhere else. I like to meet other people, even from other companies, and, you know, have a cup of coffee. You know, social is very important to me, and just a change of scenery. Otherwise, you know, I, my life would not be worth living if I worked from home, In my, that's my feeling. And the very last one, a bit of... Uh Looking into the crystal ball, what do you
3: think is the, the, the direction of travel for your industry, for the kinds of working shifts that we're going to see? You've obviously been good at getting this game for many, many years.
1: Far too many years, actually. <laughs> you know, it's taken a long time, but the, the sort of, let's say the dial has moved and it's moved very much in the direction of a, just a totally new way of working. You know technology finally broke through thank you COVID. i mean it was desperate for us but that that global experiment just made everyone realize that there was another way the certainly the i think people underestimate the change in geography in the social fabric of countries in social in, in in the services that governments have to provide and don't have to provide it's sort of still i think the the industry and the change in work patterns is really overlooked by many but it's going to be one of the fundamental changes of the 20s um, you know and I, I do think that if you you're going to have to explain to people in 10 years time by 2030 early 30s you explain to kids what commuting was because they it was just a totally crazy thing people used to do and That would be a thing of the past because, you know, technology does all that for you. So it's a period of change and adoption, but it's one of those things that's creeping up on everyone. They can't see it yet, but it's going to be big.
0: That was the founder and chief executive of IWG, Mark Dixon, in conversation with Monocle's editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck. And you can find out more and learn more about how he's built this business, head to iwgplc.com. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. We turn now from the people offering hybrid working and office solutions to those who want to help you get the rest of your life in order. For more on that, I'm delighted to say we're joined now by Stefan Bleher and Michael von Hornhorst, the co-founders of Capacities. Capacities is a software that creates a space where you can upload anything you encounter, the books you read, people you meet, meetings you have, shows you watch, and the app creates connections between all of it, in the same way your brain does, to help its users be more creative and more productive. Well, Stefan, Michael, thank you both for joining us. You both do slightly different things on the team, so I'd be interested to have your take on how it all works. Uh, Michael, let's start with you. Can
2: you talk us through how Capacities operates? Capacities is a studio for your mind. It's a software to store and collect all the digital information and media that's relevant to you, and then use this to create new aus- outputs, to, to generate ideas, uh, to find connections and become a more productive and, and creative human being. Another name would be a, a second brain to use um, digital information and, and generate outputs from it.
4: We're using a tool that better fits how we as humans
2: interact with information
4: and not on like a computer architecture um, level.
0: Yeah, it's super interesting. Um, Tell me a bit about the pace of change and a little bit about what you guys um, expect the evolution of capacities to, to, to look like. I do appreciate, although you're clearly both uh, prodigious and precocious talents, you don't possess a crystal ball, so I can't ask you to, to predict the future, but let's talk about the evolution yeah. of this space. I mean, it's particularly interesting to talk at the moment. There's so much discussion about the power of AI uh, to drive, um, you know, look, I'm a journalist, storytelling narratives, but the yeah. whole way that collation works, that's perhaps the most important bit, that presumably is really important. What, what does the evolution of these
2: sorts of, I don't know what you'd call them, second brain productivity tools, what does that look like for both of you? Um, it really helps to be a small team with the product we are uh, building and with the focus on on the individual, because then we really can react on each message, on each feedback we get from our users um, directly and implement it right away. This in turn helps us to make very fast decisions and implement uh, features very quickly. At the moment, of course, everyone talks about AI and this is um, 100% justified. Nevertheless, it will take some time to figure out for everyone in the space, what the real killer features will be. The thing with AI is um, like, there's a lot of buzz around it currently. And of course there's huge
4: potential, but it's really, really important to make it something useful. Um, It's very easy to, for example, integrate a ChatGPT-like system into a note-taking app, and then you say, okay, um, that's like AI now. But it's more important to think how it's very well integrated into the system and how it's useful in your personal work. And I think that's, that's something we have to figure out, and that's what we're putting a lot of time on discussing and and thinking about how it could be like utilised within the system and within your personal work.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. Can I just ask you about this, uh, the, the agility you mentioned, and a lot of entrepreneurs do talk to us about the power of being uh, nimble, retaining that agility even actually as the business grows and scales and begins to to check off the, the, the markers of achievement that have been set. Are you guys aware of that kind of pressure and expectation? How do you ensure that you balance the um, power that scale and, and greater investment has with that need to retain control and retain that agility that comes from being smaller? Because often those two factors seem to be somewhat in, in opposition, don't they, particularly in quite early stage
2: companies? We are at the moment fully bootstrapped. And the core team is is just the two of us. And we basically do all of the development ourselves, thanks to, in large parts, um, the open source ecosystem and the fact that we are standing on the shoulder of giants. Um, that's what makes this possible. Like At the moment, we don't have external investment. And we are on a good path um, for being a sustainable business. And we are looking at adding more team, team members uh, in, in the course of this year and the direct feedback from the users. And we really, really want to keep it that way. That's what's steering us. And that's ultimately why we are building this product and who we are building it for, to make them more productive. And we think uh, in this setup, all the interests are aligned in, in a good way and it makes sense. Just the other scenario when you're, you're funding, building a, a larger team, that's that leads to a different approach of your business. It would probably steer you into the uh, business-to-business area and going for teams because um, that's where uh, you have a easier s- a business model and there's more money to be made there. And the investor capital gives you more leverage, but also the word of the investors, how they want to see your product to, to develop. Both approaches are, are are valid, and we chose our approach because we think it um, aligns well with uh, our mission and what we want to do. Well, that, and that mission focus, I think, shines through, and it's
0: interesting. There's definitely a shift, isn't there, that, towards teams and servicing that part of the uh, the market and clearly gives you guys a, a, a huge, huge opportunity, which is really, really thrilling. And it's fascinating to hear uh, from you. At this stage of the the journey, uh, on this point about object-based, it, it's interesting. I, I know that what the app seeks to do is make and serve connections. I guess in a way, I, I can't remember one of you mentioned this at the top. But a little bit, it replicates the way the one's own brain operates to to a degree, which is an analogy I find fascinating. I've read about you guys also talking about another an- analogy that I wanted to briefly ask you about, which wasn't between these connections and brains, but between. Uh, the mind and cities, and how that can be instructive to explain i don't know if you even recall making that analogy i can 't remember where I read <laughs> it, but could could you tell us a bit about that because we're we're as interested in, in urbanism here at monocle as anything else.
2: Tell us about why 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 cities and minds have some interesting parallels. We feel well in cities that are not monotonous and all look the same as spreadsheet architecture where buildings basically look like a grid and here the the analogy is that we use objects which are colorful and different and if you want to compare to buildings you have um, a public library you have houses where people live in you have shops and ideally all mixed in in one neighborhood we think this applies similarly to your thinking environment and the categories in, in which you're thinking it's not all the same the same kind of note. Another dimension is the aspect of time and evolution over time. That's something we haven't talked about in this podcast so far, but it is a pillar of capacities because we integrated the the timeline, the time dimension, the calendar as a first class feature into the product. So from every content uh, you create, you can link to the timeline, to a date, or even to a specific time, and you can explore your, your content chronologically. And um, cities also, especially great cities, they evolved over time, and different layers in and different areas stem from different different time periods it might be stretching their metaphor a little bit but um we we still think this is a fascinating analogy i'm normally the person that gets accused of stretching metaphors <laughs> I, I, think
0: <laughs> I think it's i think it's i think it's a, a good practice um gentlemen just to wrap up what do we need to look out for have you got key markers how do you guys operate how you guys work together and how you structure your approach to what lies ahead
4: when we really focus on like, our users and what they think is important and discuss ideas and also like this broad vision of like building a thinking environment, then that's the way to go. And we, we definitely had a few points on our like, uh, roadmap where we, where we changed our trajectory because of user feedback. So we don't have like these hard goals, but rather an obsessive focus on like building something big and building something useful for users.
2: And I would stress again, that our teamwork is is deeply integrated. Uh, We basically talk every single day. And um, in terms of like what comes next, the most exciting thing is the mobile app. And the app is going to launch in the next one or two months. And we're super excited about that. And the rest of our roadmap, you can of course um, have a look at it on, on our website, but there are many, many more exciting things um, coming this year.
0: That was Stefan Bleher and Michael von Hornhorst, the co-founders of Capacities. And you can find out more about the work they do by heading to capacities.io. And that's all for this episode of the programme. We'll be back at the same time next week. In the meantime, look out for Eureka coming your way on Friday. This programme was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Callum McLean. Listen again and find out more about The Entrepreneurs at Monocle.com or follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. To contact the team, drop a note to Laura on LRK at Monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs.